We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Inspiring authors around the world, including some authors who have rewritten the story from different perspectives. The Diary of a Madman by Nikolai Gogol, coming up for discussion today. Uh, are you sure that they actually wrote this? Are you, are you making this up? <laughs> are you real? Am I real? All right. Welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And maybe I'm Madman Crypto. If you've been here before, welcome back. And if this is your first time, we take a conversational approach to discussing and understanding the literature that we read. If you're down for that type of a mission statement, hit that subscribe button to join us on the journey. And as always, to start off publication information, Diary of a Madman was first published in 1835, and our version was translated by Pierre and Varahonsky, and we will leave links down in the description where you can listen and read for free. Ukrainian-born Nikolai Gogol, there is not an author alive or dead that writes <laughs> like him. He is such a unique force, and he came at the perfect time when Russian literature was still new in its infancy. And he came along and just swept up the world with his writing that is just imaginative, creative, and in this case, I would argue profound too. Agreed. When you read him, do you find yourself chuckling? Like, hey, I get the inside joke because his work is just so funny. And I don't know if it's meant to be or not, or just it's because I think I might be broken like he was. <laughs> He's hysterical, and I love his approach because it's bold, it's fresh, it's unique. It is something that I think everyone ought to experience at least once, and it may not be your cup of tea, but it sure as heck is ours. I mean, he he's always regarded with Pushkin, and I think that how can you like one and not the other? I don't know. They just they seem like they're peanut butter and jelly to me. That's a good way to put it. Now, something he doesn't do too often that we've noticed is write in first person narrative. I don't know if we've ever read a story of his like this. So getting a story, particularly, you know, written in 1835, where it was written as journal entries, where we're really diving into the mind of this propretion. I, I, apologies if our pronunciation is terrible. I do my best. But we jump into his mind and, oh, what a mind have we ended up in. And I think that's very important to a story, right? Having the inner monologue and the personal view of someone is a lot of times where they're going to lie the most or lie the least. And I think that's super imperative to breaking down this story and maybe our open interpretations of it. And I would even add on to that, maybe not even just lie the most, but maybe even understand the most or understand the least where they think they know themselves. Ooh, yeah, that's good. So, yeah, yeah. Of how you interpret yourself and how you view the world or how you think you would like to view the world, because perspective is a lot in this story. So let's jump into a quick plot recap, make sure we're all on the same page, and then we'll jump into some discussion and analysis. So Aksenti Ivanovich Propretian, 
a government clerk describes his issues at work with getting in trouble for leaving that dates off his work and turning in shoddy writing. <laughs> he, he's a real Sounds hard like worker. some of my students. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Now, in the streets, he sees the daughter of his director, Sophie, who is walking her dog. He hides around the corner as he's wearing shabby clothes. He doesn't want to be embarrassed wearing those clothes. However, he soon overhears her dog talking about the hopelessness in a language he understands with another dog. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> right? <laughs> so about a month later, Popretian visits the dog's home that he, uh, Sophia's dog was talking to, and he asks to speak with the dog, and the owner's like, uh, you need to go, like, now. <laughs> and Popretian steals the letters that the dog had written. <laughs> he learns the daughter's name is Sophie, and she is in love with her fiancé, Teploff. Now, Teploff is a high-ranking nobleman of the royal family. Clearly higher rank than Popretian, right? And Popretian reads about how there is no male heir to the Spanish throne. Again, if you have a copy or a translation with footnotes, this would be a good part to read because there really was a real-life situation kind of inspiring this that is kind of useful. And it's also worth knowing the table of ranks paints him as not... I don't think he's hereditary nobility, I believe. Uh, but... Check your footnotes. Those are important things to kind of note. Um, but he soon th realizes he is the lost heir to the throne of Spain. Of course he is. <laughs> uh, so he stops going to work. I mean, that's what I would do if I learned that. And signs yeah. his do documents Ferdinand VIII and tells Sophie how they will soon be happy together. Eventually, the Spanish authorities arrive. They shave his head, dump cold water on him, and beat him. He's hauled off to an area where he's tested by the soldiers of Spain. He believes it's an initiation ceremony, where he's held in a room and locked away with other shaved individuals. Over time, he becomes weary of the physical abuse, and the entries become more incomprehensible, and the dates are hysterical. End plot. <laughs> this one just cracks me up. How, like, why wouldn't you believe this guy? Like, right? I mean, he's talking to dogs. That's totally normal. <laughs> well, I wonder, did I mention, too, that we talked about diving into one guy's psyche? Did I mention that this is all written as diary entries, too? So it's one man confessing, I think, to a audience of sorts, and that's going to be us. And I think you can take this as a simple look at a man's descent into madness. But that's the magic of Gogol, is you can also take this as a look at a swipe on the feudal and class divide. You can talk about an abuse of power, even, and what does one do with some of the table of ranks uh, ratings in the story? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's always in need for money. He's complaining about his income. Uh, you know, all the people above him seem to almost be lording their status and wealth over him. And this, like, infuriates and, and might be one of the things that breaks him if he is truly broken, because we really don't know, right? I mean, we assume that he's crazy, but we don't know for certain. Well, we start off, I think, I started off really liking Propretian, right? He's a dude that you're like, oh, yeah, I'll follow him on Twitter. And you start <laughs> seeing more and more of his, his tweets or his Instagram posts, and you're like, yeah, um, I'm, I'm not going to follow back, actually. Like, <laughs> like, he gets a little bit more crazy, and you're like, I don't actually want to converse with this guy. And, and I think it's Gogol's slow twist of the screw that makes this work. Because it starts off with, like, these admissions 
of honesty where he says, This surprised me, I confess. Lately, I had begun sometimes to hear and see things no one had ever seen or heard before. And as an audience member, you're like, well, what you mean, bro? Like, where, where are you the madman in the story? And we slowly start to turn the screws to like the 43rd of September or whatever the dates are in the diary entries. I feel like he is almost living in this like dream world where he is seeing or he's like in a, a, a waking reality or something where he's seeing some things and not others. And he can't decipher what is real and what is not. And so he just picks and chooses what fits best for his personal narrative. One of the first things that's a little bit off <laughs> with him is when he starts talking to dogs, right? And I think this is part of the magic of Gogol is, is where do you want to take this as a reader? Because you could just read it as the descent into madness and it's a total hoot and you can be fine and still enjoy the story that way. But you can also look at this from a class perspective, because what are dogs to humans? They are subservient. They are, quote unquote, man's best friend, but they're below. They, they don't have the same rights. They don't have the same uh, opportunities afforded to them that a human being is afforded to typically. And you can kind of view the way that they're looked down upon. And we start to see what is what is Popretian's fall? into madness. And to me, it really started to accelerate with some of these class discussions. He hid because of his shabby clothes, right? He, he's just a titular counselor, right? He doesn't want to be seen in his crappy clothes next to this beautiful woman. And he's far, he's clearly outmatched in the mate game where the guy that he's competing against, I think has hereditary nobility. He is definitely more upper class is how I read the story. And I think this is perhaps maybe why our main character starts having these visions of I got to be the heir to Spain's throne because then I'll be upper class. I'll be desired. I'll get the things I want in society when my class affords it. Two things there that I want to follow up with is that I think with the dogs, this is the idea that these are lower class and this is the only people that he can relate to because that's how he views himself is lesser than everybody else. So that's why he has the relationship with the dogs is those are, quote, my people. That's who I can communicate with because he feels like a fraud. And the idea of the clothes, I think this goes back to just many of the aspects that we've talked about in Russian culture is, you know, with the overcoat is that that outward appearance is something that they 100% judge each other on in this class society. And he doesn't want to be judged like that because he knows that he's lesser than everybody else, or at least that's how I took it, how he feels about himself. He has obviously self-esteem issues, and that's part of a lot of Russian culture during the early 90s. 19th century. Now, I, I hate making statements like this, but I, I need to get close to close to where I want to go with this one. But I hate putting authors into boxes, particularly ones as talented and skilled as a lot of the major Russian authors that we talk about here. But to, to kind of aim the, the needle, if you will, we've talked about how Dostoevsky is kind of like the uh, class, like money. Money is the vehicle in which drive in which people choose to drive their life, right? With money, you can drive into your life into different directions than those without money, right? You have more opportunities as afforded as a result of that. Tolstoy was one that was one of morals. He was a moralist. He writes about how the morals impact people and their role in society as a whole. To me, what I've started to notice about um, Gogol is he's more along the, the lines about you know, writing about class a lot, 
But what's what's interesting to me about him, you'll notice all of these stories that we read in terms of dead souls, in terms of the overcoat, the clothes make the man. It's not the man becomes wealthy, so therefore he buys the clothes. It's once the man has those clothes, then he is wealthy, right? It's that act as if, and then you are. And that seems to drive so many of, of Gogol's characters is when they can become that different status, when they can project it based on what they're wearing, based on who they're with. And it's not necessarily like they want the class itself, they want the clothes that enter them into that class. Am I making sense? I don't know. It's it's a very unique sub way of looking of of outward appearance and what it affords you in life. I also think too that not just that he's writing about the social classes, but I also think that he was one of the forefront of the idea of mental illnesses. In all of his stories, there always seems to be this very zany craziness to them that the world can't explain. And maybe he's writing from an idea of he can't explain things in life, but there always seems to be some type of, I don't know, a mental health issue with some of his characters. And I think that that's something that he wanted to write about of that there's, you know, we're envious and we're jealous and we don't know how to express ourselves. And you have all these societal things pushing down on you. And we have a story about a guy that's trying to make himself the hero that leads to true insanity or paranoia because he wants to, to stand on this stature above everyone else. He wants to be better than everybody else. He has delusions of grandeur. And I think that Gogol gets the idea of our own internal insanity way before this was written into books of like textbooks, nonfiction. I, I wonder if we're on the same page of this. What is Spain in this story? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. And I've been racking my brain for days now of why Spain? Why did he pick that country of all the countries? Why not France? Why not England? Why did he pick Spain? And I still can't figure out. And I, I'm I'm interested to hear you teach and explain this to me because I'm fascinated of why he picked that country. What is the underlying historical meaning here? I think you give me way too much credit for what is ultimately my personal opinion here. But, 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 but two things there for what you said, actually, um, one wasn't intentional, but why Spain? Um, I, I, this wasn't what I was originally going to ask you about, but it was more, I I took it as Spain because as you know, there was a vacancy of male heirs at the time of, of valid male heirs at the time. Um, that this story was written. You can you can read about it in some of the footnotes in, in my copy, at least the PVR and Volohansky version. It had some footnotes that talked about that. And we have this quote, like, a state cannot be without a king. There is a king, only he's somewhere unknown. Again, this wasn't where I was originally planning on going, but some of these countries, when they have leaders like this, they view them as more than just mortals, right? Like, they're not like the peasants. Like, when you're upper class, you're almost in some countries, godlike, right? When you're you're yeah. of a high enough status. So when there is no God, when there is no leader figure, how does a man ascend to be just that? And I think that might be one way to look at the Spain question, but that wasn't really actually the main point that I was going at. I was actually <laughs> um, much more barbaric <laughs> with why okay. I was asking that question. I was actually just curious, do you think Spain was the insane asylum? 
Oh. Yeah, I could see that. Because I he's introduced that. to all these people with shaved heads, right? I view the people in power, which could be a discussion on class. It could be a discussion on the uh, you know the aristocracy and how they treated people of, of lower. Because this is, again, you know, serfdom era when this was written and released that, you know, you could view it as that. I don't know how insane asylums worked in 1835 Russia. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But I almost wondered... You know, like when you throw someone in the insane asylum now, what do you do? You shave their head, you throw, you know, the lie on them. You're put in, you know, safety rooms when you're not, when you're not behaving well. Sometimes there is abuse that happens. And I'm assuming much worse in 19th century than it was now. I wondered if this was him being put in some type of like an insane asylum or, or a place to keep him safe where he's abused, where once again, his class, his, his absolute lack of power from like a Marxist uh, literary theory perspective is stripped of him because he doesn't have the mental capacities to participate in normal society. He's stripped of his rights and he's put into this insane asylum where he's abused to the point of even giving up on his dreams, which is kind of sad. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Follow me down the rabbit hole. I know right, we do this go. sometimes. Here we go. Here we Let's go. Here we this. go. Let's do this. Hit so I, I like your idea. Spain is the insane asylum. The okay. dogs who speak crazy like him are the other patients. The orderlies and the doctors who are a higher class are all the rich people in the story or the upper people in the story. And they have the different clothes and he doesn't want to wear all of the dog's clothes, the patient's clothes. He wants to wear the better clothes like the doctors and orderlies have and not maybe what they're forced to wear as <laughs> the patients inside insane asylum. Okay, oh. so you're taking, and if he gets you're you're going even further where you're so my original intent was when society <laughs> noticed that he was insane he got put in the insane asylum. You're saying what if he was there the whole time? What if he's there what the, if whole, the time? whole time? What if his dream is not <laughs> What if his dream is the freedom of getting out and all of this is kind of like a um a way of envisioning escape escapism if you will, interestingly. Yeah, I mean, the way that, it, that it's kind of described of the the bureaucratic environment is very um, formulaic or very uh, institutionalized, so to speak, you know, very, uh, uh, you know, like penalized, uh, like, like, like a jail or something. Oh, yeah, I don't know. This is, hmm, it's, it's a very out there interpretation, but it's fun because this story itself is so tragic and funny intertwined together. I, I think you can make an, an argument for it. <laughs> I like the story. I do. Whether whether you view it as he was there the whole time, whether you viewed it um, where he got put in there because of his insanity and maybe jealousy of class, like he couldn't get the woman he wanted like Teploff could because of his class. I think it's just a fun story. And today on the 43rd of September, uh, we're going to leave a playlist link down below <laughs> where you can check out more Gogol talks of ours because we absolutely love him. One of our favorite authors. Let's move into our subjective wrap-up and ratings. Crypto, what you gonna give this one? I'm gonna give this one uh, a nam-dam. And uh, <laughs> do you know what that is? No, I don't. Nam-dam. I've been, I've, I've, I've been waiting days to use this with you. Because <laughs> it's stupid. Am I supposed to, am I supposed to It's madman backwards. <laughs> oh, very sneaky. I, I, very I, sneaky. I, yeah, so I'm not going to give this a number. Just uh, this one is another one of the the Gogol uh, silliness. I think it's one that is uh, a fun read, open to interpretation. I think that 
Gogol just is uh, an amazing writer and so unique. I think that everything that we can read of him, we should, because it's going to make you appreciate all the other stories that you read of the prolific writers during the 19th century of, uh, you know, Pushkin and Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and all the guys that we've mentioned so far. So, and not, not just European and Russian writers, but, you know, anybody that's writing during that time period, I think he opens up or is a breath of fresh air. So good, good fun read. I will give the story on a scale of one to 10, a 43. <laughs> a flory three? Did you say flory three? <laughs> that flory three would work even better for the story. Guys, I love the story. Uh, <laughs> highly check it out. Love Gogol. He's definitely a unique uh, taste and flavor of tea, and I think you should check it out. So if you guys love Gogol as much as us, we want to hear down below what other short stories you'd love for us to check out of his. Until then, we post videos every Monday and Wednesday with a bonus video. Monday and Wednesday? I don't even know our schedule. I'm a madman. Every Monday Woo! and Thursday, we post videos with a bonus video on Tuesdays. Hit that subscribe button if you want to join us in talking about literature. Una out. Meep. <laughs> and it, Google Man.